Hi, my name's John Kasher and welcome to Cash Talk, where there'll be no boundaries and a lot of straight talk. All things money, business, and just everyday stuff. Hey guys, before we get started, just a quick reminder that all the information in this podcast is of a general nature and not tailored to your personal circumstances. So please seek personal financial advice before acting on this information. Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of Cash Talk Property. And today I am joined by Gianni, Mr. Message. How are you, mate? Good. Thank you, John. Thank you for having me again. Nah, that's it, mate. That's it. I, um, I'm still struggling with this cough, everyone. So I do apologize. I, I feel like I, I'm struggling to speak. I even saying your name just then, I'm just like, anyway, so we'll bear with me. We'll see how we go today. But uh, Gianni, um, it's going to be a great topic because it's one that we've heard about for a long, long time now. It's not like news to most people, but there's always been a discussion about rent vesting versus purchasing a home. And it's a topic I want to deep dive into because, you know, we both share strong views on either one, but I think it's one one of those ones that we want to unpack. And so for people that don't know, um, well, for people that don't know, rent vesting is essentially where you choose to not purchase the home you live in and, potentially, and, and essentially choose to rent where you live and invest at the same time. And I know Gianni, you're a big believer in um, in rent vesting and the power of that, and it's and it's really started to get some legs. Um, and obviously, on the second point around purchasing a home, we're talking about you know you purchasing your home to live in and kind of you know doing that. So, you know, maybe Gianni, if you can just explain to me, you know, the, the rise of rent vesting and uh, and why it's becoming so popular. Yeah, look, I think rent vesting has become popular lately, specifically or or especially in the capital cities because people sort of weigh up the pros and cons of home ownership. And in, in some cases amongst the, the sort of capital cities with the bigger median incomes, like your Sydney and Melbourne, where your median uh, sort of house value is above a million dollars, people will probably choose to rent in those locations because it's close to work or they for lifestyle choices specifically. And they might rent elsewhere where they think that, uh, or they feel that there's greater potential for capital growth or there's greater mm -hmm. rental yields in your regional areas, which is typically typically the case so mm -hmm. in your capital city your your rental yields will be a lot lower and mm -hmm. then in your regionals on on average they'll be a lot higher yeah and so and so we're, what we're looking at is, is this is where potentially people are looking at you know really premium suburbs for example where they want to kind of live and they're looking at it and going geez you know for me to get in there i've got to have a huge deposit to be able to get in there my loan service servicing capabilities nowhere near that but you know what? Funnily enough, I can actually rent in those scenarios. And and Gianni, I know you've got you know a lot of data in regards to this, but I would imagine a lot of these premium suburbs in regards to these capital cities where people want to live, rental like to be able to rent in those like from a rental yield perspective, I've kind of seen that the, the rental yields are usually lower in these areas from a percentage perspective. And what I mean by that is there's some premium suburbs that are around me, for example, which are really, really good suburbs, close to the CBD, you know, got good block of lands. And when you look at it as the percentage of how much the rent is versus the value of that property, you're looking at some of them where they're like 2%, yeah? So, you know, it's 2% of the value of the property. Whereas when you're talking about interest rates being at four and a half, say 5% in, at, in December, 2022, um, the numbers are very strong in regards to rent vesting. 
Yeah, so a, a lot of people weigh up, and, and that's one of the things that they weigh up as well. They weigh up the interest rate versus the, the rental yield. So mm-hmm. look, even for me, in the suburb I live in, the, the median mm-hmm. house price is $2.5 million, but the rental mm-hmm. yield is 2.5%. So you sort of okay. think, well, even if I pay interest only, like uh, it doesn't weigh up sort of thing, mm-hmm. let alone all the other ongoing expenses that you'd incur as a, as a property owner as well. Mm-hmm. So that's one of the things that people need to take into account when they're considering whether to own or rent in an area um, mm-hmm. is is the rental yield and the return on their dollar. Yeah, and, and, and it could be, and it's not as powerful if you're going and, and doing it the flip way. And what I mean by that is that um, what we're talking about is when you go and, for example, rent somewhere, if you're renting in for, you know, I don't know, above your means, not within mm-hmm. your means, but above your means, yeah. Rentvesting can turn backwards because essentially you're not using it for what the power is of what we're trying to achieve here. We're trying to get the lifestyle choice that we're trying to get and we're trying to make sure that cash flow is continuing to be good. Now, mm-hmm. the thing is, is that we're talking about rentvesting here. We're not talking about renting versus buying because yeah. when we're talking about renting versus buying, the investing part still says, no, I'm still buying property as an asset class. Yeah, I'm still buying yeah. property to accumulate wealth. I'm just choosing not to live in it. I'm using, I'm choosing to rent where I live and using property as an investment vehicle rather than actually a living lifestyle vehicle. Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, so that's one of the considerations is, yeah, for rent investing specifically, you sort of think, well, um, do I choose to use my capital to purchase a home or can I use it to invest mm-hmm. elsewhere? And that's, that's a sort of big consideration there. Yeah, and I think I think the other one as well too that always comes to mind for, for me is that we then got to look at, you know, when you're in that scenario, do I rent best or do I buy? Yeah, there is certain times where it becomes more favorable and it becomes less favorable. And what we're talking about here is let's do the flip side, um, Gianni, and we'll walk through this. Let's say you're not in the capital cities or you're not in an area like that's really good. Like let's say, you know, you can pick up a house for, $500,000 that the home you can buy, you can buy, you look at the rent versus the cost to hold the property and owning. Yeah. You look at those maths and the maths might work out that owning that own home actually is more advantageous for you. Okay. But what we're finding is that these premium suburbs are becoming more um, a rent vesting scenario rather than the properties that aren't in these premium suburbs. Now it's also a case of, you may not be rent vesting forever. Now, Gianni's very open in his discussions and, and I'm very open in my discussions about our personal side. And, and Gianni is a rent vester and I'm a home buyer, okay? And I'm willing to walk through this so you can understand the difference of the scenario. Now, when I purchased my house, I ended up, I bought in a premium suburb, I would say. It's about oh, 15 minutes from the CBD of Melbourne, okay? Uh, access to freeways, really, really good schools, the facilities and everything. And I purchased 467,000, okay? Now, when I did the maths to rent in my area versus purchasing in my area, it was clear as day for me to purchase the home that I live in. And it gave me some great advantages. One, I had the ability to manufacture wealth, renovate, okay? Extend my property, be able to make the modifications to build wealth through my property. And the other thing I was able to do is do it in a a tax-free environment. So the thing is, is that when you own your own home, there's no capital gains tax on the on the capital that you grow. So if I end up selling this property and sell it for much more than I bought it for, there's no capital gains tax on it because I'm actually I've lived in the property. 
Whereas if I didn't do that, and this was done on investment property, if I then chose to then sell that asset, I would not have a capital gains a capital gains tax free um, scenario. I would then have to trigger capital gains for that to be the case. Fast forward though, I purchased the house maybe eight years ago now, okay? If I did that today, the median house price in my suburb is above a million bucks, okay? So being able to enter into that market and the cost of rent versus buy, it becomes more in favor of my suburb becoming more of a rent vesta scenario rather than an ownership scenario and owning it outright. So your entry point in regards to what your cost base is, is very important when you're making this calculation. Yeah, definitely. Um, for, for me, similar story, uh, you know, a uh, young married couple, I think uh, our first owner-occupied home I actually bought as an investment property at the age of 18. Um, but then subsequent investment property, I actually still, I couldn't afford to buy in the area where I wanted to live. Uh, even, you know, at the time I was sort of working administration for a financial services company. Um, I wasn't sort of earning that much. My wife and I weren't earning that much collectively. So we had to move out of the area where we wanted to live for a period of time. And then when it came time to look to upsize again into a home, we still couldn't afford because our wages had not grown as much as property prices had grown in the area. So there was a disproportion between property growth and wage growth. Mm -hmm. And we were sort of thinking, well, we want to live in this area as part of our mm -hmm. lifestyle. We want to live in this area to be close to our friends, our family, mm -hmm. schools, all that sort of stuff. But we can't afford, literally, we can't afford to, to live mm -hmm. here to purchase. We, but mm -hmm. we can afford to rent because the rental yields mm -hmm. are so low. Now, what we sort of considered is, well, why don't we rent and invest where it's smart to do so? Because the median price point in the suburb where I live at the moment is two and a half million dollars. Now, I I need to save up 20% deposit plus about a hundred mm -hmm. something thousand dollars worth of stamp duty. Six, mm -hmm. seven hundred thousand dollars later, it will probably take me 10 years to save that, let alone, mm -hmm. let alone, yeah. you know, have that and then pay the ongoing repayments at, at four mm -hmm. and a half, five percent. Yeah. So that's they're the sort of things that you need to sort of think about. Mm -hmm. and, and I think I think the other one is uh, as well too is that there are like we are talking up reinvesting at the moment, and there is a lot of pros for reinvesting, and it is becoming more and more um, appropriate in a lot of people's scenarios. Now, please bear in mind this is general advice only. We're not taking your personal circumstances into consideration, so please seek personal financial advice before you do so. But there's also some cons to it. Okay, and the cons are, uh, for example, remember you're renting someone's place when you're living there. So you don't have the control about being able to, you know, renovate the house the way you want to be able to, you know, get out in the backyard and build a pergola or whatever the kind of the case that you want to do. You can't do that, mm -hmm. which is a con and as a pro, like as a con, you can't do that. But as a pro, if something stuffs up, you call the landlord, the landlord comes and fixes it and it's on them to kind of be able to do. Yeah. Yeah. The other one that people struggle with as well too, and I can appreciate this as well too, is, is when you do have family, okay? So when it's when it's on your own or maybe you and your partner, it's kind of easy for you to kind of grab where you are and shift if the landlord comes in and says you're out in a particular time period. But when you're in your own home, you know, pretty much it's kind of the bank or the council that's kind of going to kind of kick you out of your house. It's not really, um, it's not really going to be the landlord that does anything. And especially when you've got kids, they might have their friends in their circle in the street and you've got the neighbours and... You know, they've got the schooling around. So, you know, we get comfortable with that area and it's it's quite hard to move. I, I haven't still come across someone who likes moving. Do you know what I mean? So there is um, there is a con to the scenario, which is in, in, in regards to the inconvenience or the possible inconvenience that it could cause you as well too. And I think the other con around it is, is not building up that tax-free asset as well too. 
So we need to appreciate that it's not just it's right for everyone. There's these pros and cons, and and this tax-free asset is a, is a is a big free hit. Okay, now. Um, this rent vesting wasn't a big thing 10, 20, 30 years ago because the entry point in regards to property was quite low, yeah? And the ownership of property versus the income to value ratio was much, much less. Whereas when the more that gap continues to grow, rent vesting is going to start to become more, more popular, more popular, more popular. And the other big thing about it is if you get rent vesting right or if you get property investing right or investing right as well, that income and that rent that you're receiving from your investments or the earnings that you're getting actually allows you to live your lifestyle at no cost. Okay. Mm -hmm. And this is the thing that we need to become fascinated with building up assets, not building up liabilities. And so you've got to talk about ownership struck ownership of home and where that dream comes from. Okay. Now, Gianni and me love the game of Monopoly. So we love owning property, okay? But really, you can own property and where the value happens is when the rent starts coming in and you start collecting, okay? If you don't, if you own them and you don't collect anything, well, you've owned them, you've outlaid them, but you haven't really got anything off it, okay? And that game is really good. For people who have young kids, I encourage you to get Monopoly Junior, then start building them up to kind of get to Monopoly. But this is the point of what, what I'm trying to get at. The home ownership dream was originally sold in America, okay, so that banks could lend money to people and make money to do so. So what's the easiest way to lend out money? It's to get encourage the population to go buy a house, which is the biggest form of debt, and then the bank lend money and then earn money from that, from that, okay? And then that obviously seeped into Australian society, seeped into world society, and it wasn't just the US where they started, but it kind of got a lot of legs in the US. And now we find ourselves in Australia in a situation where we've got the highest, nearly highest level of household debt um, in the world, okay? And we've become fascinated with owning a home. Now, this is very interesting, and I want you guys to know how much they've played a trick on us. An asset is something that puts money in your pocket. It's the easiest definition to learn. It's something that I taught my young boy when he was three. An asset is something that puts money in your pocket. A liability is something that takes money out of your pocket. So when you think about this for a moment, the house you live in, if you're not earning any income from it, it should sit on the balance sheet on the liability side, not on the asset side. But whenever you do a fact find with your financial advisor, a fact find with your mortgage broker, you go to see your bank, they always sit that asset on what? On the asset basket. And essentially what they're doing is they're looking at what they can take security on, not what's actually their asset and what's your asset, okay? It's more of a security thing, okay? It's because it's a, an asset to them, not necessarily you. So they, they can sort of think, well, I can make money out of this property, but you typically can't. You've got to live in it. Correct. And you're outlaying all of the costs to keep up that property. Now, a definition of a liability is something that takes money out of your pocket, not puts it in. So essentially an asset that you live in is actually a liability and not an asset. Now, might be a game changer for a lot of people in hearing that, but the reality is, is that's the reality. We have been sold the dream to buy a house, live in it, pay it off, and these days, pay it off for the rest of your life, yeah? Originally, they only used to use one income. Now they use two incomes. You know, who knows? They might use your kids' incomes to add in on there to be able to pay it off forever, okay? And loan terms have become longer and longer and longer and being able to purchase this. And this is why 
rent vesting is bucking the trend because it's now saying, okay, well, I'm not going to buy into that dream. I'm going to be the landlord. I'm going to be the investor, okay? Now, you might say, John, you're contradicting yourself. You went out and bought your own home. Yes, I did. But that circumstance was right for me at that particular time period, yeah? If I went to go re-enter in now, well, I'd be I'd be circumnavigating the, the landscape, seeing what's out there, and being in a situation, if I'm in Gianni's situation where there's a house for 2.5 million, this is the this is the area that I want to school my kids. This is the area where I want those facilities and whatnot. Well, exactly how Gianni said, I've got to weigh that all up, and I've got to see what's right and see what's important. Now, that's the financial side of it. You've also got to look at, like I said, the lifestyle side of things. Yeah, and not everything is a financial decision. It's sometimes a sometimes a lifestyle decision, and this is where it all comes into play. You don't go on holidays to earn more money, okay? That's a lifestyle decision. That's a lifestyle choice. You're willing to trade some of your, your, your money to be able to have that, that lifestyle decision. And this is where that home ownership and owning your own home comes into it. A lot of people will say to me, John, hey, I want to go buy my dream home. What do you think about that? I said, in most cases, that's the worst financial decision you're ever going to make. Yeah, because you can live in the house you're living to at the moment. And they're like, but aren't you my financial? I get that. I'll do the modeling. I'll do the back testing. I'll do the, the analysis. But this is a lifestyle decision. You don't need a five-bedroom home. Your three-bedroom home will do it. Yeah? But you want to make that lifestyle decision. So what I'm trying to get at is we need to appreciate what's going on around us, the psychology, where we're at today, but also what's driving these decision-making for you. And to appreciate that owning your home to live in is more of a lifestyle decision rather than a financial one. Yeah, that's that's right. And I, I think a lot of people make make those sort of lifestyle decisions thinking that they're financial decisions. They sort of think, oh, yes, I, I will buy this property and it, it's in an area where I grew up uh, and, you know, I want to send my kids to school here uh, and the property will go up in value because, you know, I like it. So it, it, it's sure to go up, but not necessarily because you haven't made any data-driven decisions as a result, like you, you don't know the sort of leading indicators that could, that's going to lead to that property rising in, in value. Um, it could very well go down because you haven't done any sort of research as, as to the sort of drivers around that area or that or that specific property. So as as I sort of said, like, these are the reasons why I want to live in this suburb. These are the reasons why some people purchase property in a particular area. Now, the other thing is as well is um, I wanted to say people people have very specific uh require lifestyle requirements as well like as a renter i can't turn around and say i want to paint this wall blue you know i want to i want to do the renovation i want to put on a third or fourth bedroom these are sort of lifestyle or emotional decisions because they want to uh be a lot more specific about the look and feel of their property but you're outlaying capital into a property that might not necessarily go up in value or you might not add money to it it really depends on the performance of the area and the drivers around capital growth so these are some of the, mm. uh, the considerations that people sort of need to think about when they're purchasing their own occupied or even doing renovations to their own or occupied property in some in some cases is that a spent cost is it going to add any value yeah and that that's that's an absolute big one i find that a lot of people when we're talking to them about their financial objectives that you know they've always got a renovation on the cards they've always got maintenance on the cards and there's always got something to do now for for rent vesting is that a lot of those things become at least a tax deductible item even either initially or on an ongoing basis that you can use it on a capital cost whereas in the house you live in 
though it is tax free, you're also not it's not a tax deductible item. So what you're trying to do is that if you do it on the tax free one, you're trying to increase the value, yeah, beyond what you put your capital uh, capital into it. And that's where you sometimes hear the term about over overcapitalizing. Like I am completely aware of what I spend, the money that I cost to renovate and extend the property and where my cost base sets, plus the holding costs of that property for the eight years that I've had the house. That's actually my cost base. That's actually what it has cost me to hold and maintain my property. Now, every time you speak to someone, Gianni, I always, they're like, okay, what'd you spend on the place? Oh, I spent 500. Cool. When'd you buy it? 15 years ago. Oh, any renovations, maintenance, upkeep, da, 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 da. Oh, yeah, done the kitchen, done the floors, done the bathroom, plus the holding costs. And before you know it, that property is worth like, like eight, nine hundred grand, not 500 grand in my property over the yeah. time. So, and I know this is the case. My parents, for example, bought when they came, migrated from Malta. You know, they came over here. They were one of, you know, they bought early in the property. I don't know. They probably spent like 50, 60 grand on the property. But, you know, for me, you know, being on this earth for 30 odd years, I think they've probably renovated majorly around three times, you know, that, that, I've, that I've been with them, you know. So, you know, their cost base is not the $50,000 that they originally purchased on. Um, it's You've got to include all of those cost base to see what the actual value is where it is today. And let's not shy away from it. Regardless, um, a one con to property is upkeep. Yeah, let's, let's, let's be honest. Let's talk, you know, straight as it is you know you've got maintenance on property whereas at least if it's your investment property you're claiming it yeah and you're doing it usually with not an emotional side of things you're doing it based on like gianni said before you're hoping to make that on data driven stuff you know i've got to do that kitchen upgrade because that's going to add value to the property based on the data that's around or i need to make it a four bedroom because the demand in that area requires more four bedders than it does a three better yeah whereas the one you're living in it's like mm, I just want to just want another room, yeah. I'm just feeling a little bit enclosed here. The the other thing is, as an owner occupied, you know, if there's maintenance requirements like, oh, you know, I need to fix uh, a leaky sink or a shower, you're a lot more inclined to sort of let it go, like, oh, you know, I'll let it go, I'll just deal with it. But if it's one of your investment properties, like for me, I sort of think, well, I got tenants or customers in there, like I wouldn't treat a customer that way. Um, Number one, I've got to fix it as soon as possible because, you know, it's it's a service that I'm providing. Housing is a service mm-hmm. that I'm providing. And then number two, like, I'm not going to do it myself as well because I'm, number one, I'm not qualified. Number two, I don't want to waste my time. So I'm going to employ a professional to go out there and do that as well. So I'm, I'm using other people's time to maintain the property. I'm not using my own time. Whereas I feel as an owner-occupied, like, a lot, people are more inclined to, oh, yeah, I'll try fix it myself. I'll go down the budding, see yeah. how it goes. You know, but um, and they might not do a good job, or they'd be a lot more inclined to sort of let it go for a longer period of time. Yeah, one hundred percent, one hundred percent. So, guys, it's been a great talk about reinvesting and property buying, and there is pros and cons for both. And what we are just seeing is more prevalent for people to in the areas that they want to live in in these premium suburbs that reinvesting is becoming more of an option to consider. And I've found, and the reason why I wanted to get Gianni on here is because not just to discuss the for and against for both and the pros and the cons, but also to think about this. Yeah, it's not it's not 10, 20 years ago where it was just purchase the house. That's what everyone did. So that's what we do. There are other options available for you. And if you are happy with the cons and the pros, to consider that as an option. And obviously, as a financial advisor, 
you know, for our clients, we 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 can analyze and backtest both of the different scenarios to see which one's appropriate for you. And obviously, Gianni is an absolutely great resource when it comes to property because he's in, he's in it. Yeah, he sees this every day. He's done it himself. He's done both sides of the coin. So, you know, for all the viewers, all of the listeners that are on here, um, you know, happy for you guys to reach out if you want to deep dive a little bit more into this. But hopefully today has been very, very informative to at least open your eyes and open your minds in regards to some of the options that are available when it comes to purchasing property. Yeah, look, it's uh, very important to discuss living arrangements as well. And especially nowadays with inflation, um, you know, you sort of notice the growing disparity between property prices and wage growth. Uh, mm -hmm. So I think it's a more contemporary topic now more than ever. Using the example that you sort of spoke about before, like, you know, even when, when my father migrated here from Italy, you know, house prices there were like the price to income ratio wasn't very much it was probably three to one, four to one, five to one. Mm. But nowadays, like Sydney and Melbourne comparatively are like 11 to one, nine to one mm. in terms of uh, median house price to average income. So they're, they're mm. becoming sort of the growing disparity is becoming more and more unaffordable. So it's it's a more realistic consideration. And yeah, definitely um, you need to weigh up the pros and cons. Like my situation or your situation isn't suited for everybody. Everybody needs to consider that. Yeah, 100%, 100%. Well, Gianni, thank you very much for jumping on. To all the viewers and listeners, thanks for jumping on again. Um, for everyone um, on this side of Christmas, we probably won't speak to you guys again. So have a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year for everyone. Cheers. Have a good one. Thanks, mate. All the best. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for listening to another episode of Cash Talk. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you want to learn more about me, jump onto my Instagram at, at thejohncasher and you'll find me there or at my website at www.johncasher.com.au. Thanks for listening. Cheers.